delicious This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page The love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these dead walls all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love person out of every scene We're gonna fill our house with happiness We're gonna smother the fools with tenderness There's room for you, room for me For gentle hearts and opportunity It's a bigger love for the Scripture often surprises me. There'll be times when I'm reading God's word and a word or a phrase will jump out at the page and, and I'll think, why is that there? Or, or that is shocking to me that that's how it's being presented. Why would God say that? Let me give you an example. Uh, the story of the people of Israel is found in the first five books of the Bible. And if you're unfamiliar with that story or you just need a recap, here it is. The people of Israel had found themselves in Egypt, God's chosen people. And he was going to send them a deliverer named Moses to lead them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land, a, a land that he had hand selected just for them. And as the people came out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, they got into the wilderness and it was there that they rebelled against God. They didn't trust him and they started trusting in themselves. So God gave them a 40-year time out. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And even in the midst of this season of testing, God provided for them. Every day he gave them food from heaven called manna and water came from rocks and they were sustained. And God even gave them commandments that he hand carved on stone tablets. So all of these miracles were happening even in the midst of this wilderness. And at the end of that 40-year period, Moses gathered the people together. They were finally ready to trust God and move into the promised land. And as Israel gathered together, getting ready to move into their future, Moses gives to them a series of final speeches of instructions because he's not going to go with them into their future. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. And in the middle of these speeches, Moses says something that I find shocking. Here's what he writes. Uh, he says to Israel, he said, but watch out, be careful never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live and be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. And I find that surprising because I think to myself, these are people who have seen all of these miracles from God. How in the world could they forget this? And what it teaches me is that big moments of God and of faith and, and, and seeing God do miraculous things, that's not enough for us to sustain a sense of resiliency in our faith, that, that we need something more regular to stay faithful to God. And if that was true for the people of Israel, it's even more true for us. 
Because here's how the story continued for the people of Israel. They did move into that promised land with a new leader, Joshua. And generally things went pretty well when they moved into the the new land. They, They were faithful to God, at least at the start. But then they got busy building their homes and making their lives. And the book of Judges picks up when that generation had passed away and something surprising happened. Here's how Judges 2.10 puts it. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Then it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord or in the Lord's sight, and they serve the images of Baal. That's all the false gods and the false prophets. And you read that and you think to yourself, how did that happen? How did we go from one generation who experiences the miracles of God to the next generation who doesn't even know about him? And it's actually pretty simple. What happened is that generation, they forgot to remember and they never told the next generation. Now, before we get too judgmental about them, the same thing is happening in our own country today. There's a generation that is coming that doesn't know about the Lord. Before I joined staff here at Wooddale, I spent several years working for an organization called Gallup. And Gallup does a lot of management consulting, but they also have a pretty famous poll that they conduct. And one of the things that the Gallup poll has studied here in America for decades has been religious affiliation. So how this works is uh, people are polled and they're given a long list of different religious affiliation uh, identities and saying, hey, which one of these do you most closely identify? And when I was at Gallup, there was kind of some hushed conversation about a surprising and emerging new category that was coming onto the scene. And that new category of religious affiliation that just started to creep in was this, none. None. That when when faced with a long list of religious affiliation, an increasing number of people were saying, none, I have no religious affiliation. But that's not what was most surprising to me. What was most surprising to me was the disparity at the rate of the number of people who are saying none across the different generations. Let me share with you the summary research that Gallup has produced on this. When you look at the percent of people who have no religious affiliation, it's 7% for those who are in the traditional generation. That's those of you who were born between ni- before 1945. And then the baby booming population almost doubles. It's 13% of that generation say they don't have any religious affiliation. It grows to 20% for those who are in the Gen X category. Millennials is 31%. And the newest generation that's now becoming adults, Gen Z, 33% of them say they do not have any religious affiliation. The translation there is one out of every three Gen Z adults say they have no religious affiliation. Now, just to be clear, my goal is never to have people become religious. Uh, that, that's, that's, there's not value necessarily in just religion. I want people to meet Jesus. But what that statistic and what that research is showing to us is that there is an increasing movement in this nation away from faith. And here's the thing. These aren't just statistics. Behind every statistic is a person whom God loves and who needs to know about the hope of Jesus. I want you to take a moment and think about people that you know in your life right now 
who are in a generation or two behind you. They're, they're younger than you. Can, can you see who they are? Can, can you see their faces? Can, can you hear their voice? Can, can you think about their laugh and their smile? You know, when I think about the younger generation, my two kids come to my mind. And see, it's, it's for them. How are they going to hear about faith? How are they going to develop a sense of, of faithfulness and the hope that Jesus gives to them? And here's what I believe with all of my being. I believe that God is calling each and every one of us here at Wooddale Church, all generations, all campuses, all of us together, I believe that he is calling us to reverse this trend. I believe that God is calling us to develop the most spiritually resilient generation that our nation has ever seen. And I believe all of us can come together and we can be committed to this and we can develop a sense of spiritual resiliency in the next generation and in ourselves as well. And I'm excited that as we move into the fall and the winter, we're going to be talking more about this here at Wooddale and and sharing some hopes and some dreams and maybe casting some vision about what that could look like for us. But here's the thing, you and I can start changing this narrative today. We can start changing this narrative today by building a sense of spiritual resiliency in ourselves and in future generations by doing a couple of things. And it comes right from scripture, right from God's word. God told the people of Israel how to do this. And we can look at that passage of scripture and we can do it too. So here it is. This is how spiritual resiliency is developed. It's the combination of shared memories with shared moments, shared memories of God's faithfulness combined with shared moments of praising God together help to develop a sense of spiritual resiliency. So let's start with some of those shared memories. So we need to be people who are frequently sharing memories of God's provision and of God's faithfulness. When I grew up in the 1980s and 90s, one of the things I loved to do was to make a mixed tape. If you grew up in that era, maybe you made some of these mixed tapes. We had some cassette tapes. If, if you don't know what a cassette tape looks like, it was something like this. And you would take a cassette tape and you would record songs off the radio or maybe from another cassette tape. Or then in the 90s, we started downloading music to our computer and we'd burn them onto a CD. And, and these mixtapes, they'd be like thematic albums. You'd get all the songs together that kind of had a theme. So I had like a road trip album and I had a mowing the lawn album and a pump up for running album. And I even made a mixtape for Stephanie when we were dating that had all these sappy love songs on it about our relationship. Uh, Maybe today you're, you're making playlists on Spotify or on Apple music. But the point is, is that we need a type of mixtape, this type of thematic stories that are true of God's faithfulness. And we need to have that mixtape on repeat. In fact, that's what Moses called the people of Israel to have. He called them to have a mixtape of God's faithfulness. Here's what he writes in Deuteronomy 8 about this. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. And Moses is telling the people, remember how God was faithful. And I love the last sentence of that passage because it talks about how uh, the Israelites' feet didn't swell and their clothes didn't wear out. It's the smallest of detail, but it showed how God was faithful even in the little things. And see, that's what we need for a sense of spiritual resiliency. We need to be people who understand how God is providing for us, even in the minute details of our lives and sharing those memories often with each other. From time to time, I'll talk to people who will say, you know, Kyle, I wish my faith story was more dramatic or, or people who are searching for faith will look for these like massive grandiose, like the sky opened and God audibly spoke to me. And those can be powerful moments. But here's the thing. Oftentimes it's the everyday stories that are most significant. In fact, sometimes it's the simple stories that can be so profound. In fact, I, I want to share with you one that happened in, in my life. And it is really simple. I mean, it feels almost silly to, to share it with you, but it really had a profound impact on my spiritual life. So here's the story. I was in college. It was my senior year. And Stephanie and I had just gotten engaged to be married, which means the mixtape worked. And uh, I was just anxious about our future and how am I going to provide for her? And I didn't really know what my plans were going to be after graduation. And so one day I'm biking across campus to meet a friend to work out at the gym. And then I have some other meetings across campus that I needed to be at. And, and so I, I'm on my bike and I'm just, I'm just crying out to God in my soul. I'm just, God, I'm worried about my future. I'm anxious. And you know, how are you going to provide and what are you going to be doing? And I get to the gym and I, I get off and I'm, I'm locking up my bike and getting ready to walk in. And I realize in that moment, I forgot to pack deodorant. Now for you, that may not be a big deal, but I sweat a lot when I work out. And listen, nobody wants to be in meetings with me after I've been working out without deodorant. And so now I'm frustrated because I'm going to have to go in and tell my buddy that I can't work out with him after all. And I'm going to go home and then change and then get back to my meeting. And, and I'm walking into the gym and I'm just having a bunch of negative self-talk. You ever been there? I mean, I'm just, I'm like, Kyle, why, why did you not think about this? And you know, what's wrong with you? And, and then it was like, Kyle, how are you ever going to be able to provide for a wife and a family? I'm like, you can't even be trusted to pack toiletries. And so I'm walking and just kind of beating myself up mentally. And I walk into the gym and there it is in a little basket right next to the check-in station. There are travel size sticks of deodorant with the sign that says free samples. Now I had been going to this gym for three years. That basket had never been there and I never saw it again. But on that day, there it was. And when I saw it, I literally started to laugh like out loud, creepy laughing in public laughing because I was so overwhelmed by God's hand in that. And it was almost as if he was saying to me, Kyle, if you can trust me to provide deodorant before you realize you need it, you can trust me with your future. I got to tell you, the future that I had was up and down and, and it wasn't always easy, but God has been incredibly faithful. And that simple little moment has sustained me and has reminded me about God's faithfulness. And you know what I've been convicted about this week? You know, my kids know a lot of the stories that have happened to me over the years, but I don't know if they know that one. In fact, far too often, I'm not frequent enough in sharing with them the stories of how God has provided for me on a day-by-day -day 
basis. So if we want like a way to put this into action in our lives, here's what we can do. It's simply this. It's ask this question of your loved ones. It's to say, how did God provide for you today? You know, so, so often I think we get together and we have meals or our life groups gather and we say, Hey, how was your week? Or, you know, how's work going or what happened at school? And those can be fine questions, but this is a better question because this question forces us to think about God's daily provision, even in the minute things. Now, you may be saying, now, Kyle, come on. Like, I, you know, if I were to ask this question, I don't know, does God really provide for us every single day? And if you're thinking that, let me just kind of push back on that idea a little bit, because yes, yes, he does provide for us on a daily basis. And I want to encourage you, look harder for God's provision, because spiritual resiliency is found when we see God's hand at work in the smallest of details, and we share that with one another. So in addition to those shared memories of God's faithfulness, the second thing we need to help to develop a sense of spiritual resiliency in ourselves and others is regularly sharing moments of praising God. Now, the reason we need to have regular moments of praising God is because you and I have something inside of us that when we don't praise God, it can come and get the best of us. And that's what happened to Israel. And Moses warned the people about that very thing. Here is the passage of scripture in Deuteronomy 8. He says this, he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, meaning when you've gone into the promised land and and you're now enjoying all the benefits of that promised land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become, and here it is, proud. Proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the passage goes on to say, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he has swore to your ancestors as it is Today. Now, the challenge that Moses was giving was not a call against wealth. That's not what he was, he was rallying against. What he was saying is that you have to understand that, that Israel, God had been testing you for 40 years. And this testing was in the desert where you had nothing to see if you would trust God. And that test was actually a preparation for an even larger, more challenging test to come. And that is the test that happens in abundance. Oftentimes we think that when things are going well and our lives are comfortable, it's God's blessing, but actually it can be a time of testing because it's in the midst of affluence that we get amnesia. We forget about God. And when that happens, our hearts become proud. And the way to protect against pride is frequent praise. That's what it is. Frequent praise. So we need to be people who are regularly praising God. So here's just some really practical ways for us to do this. The first one is this. It is meals. Shared meals can be a great way to protect against pride and build spiritual resiliency. In fact, did you know this, that meals are actually a core element of our faith? When someone accepts Jesus, 
we become part of God's family. And one of the tangible ways that we celebrate being part of God's family is communion. That God invites us to come to his table and share a meal with him. Here's the thing. If there are people whom you love in your life, that you long to have those people experience spiritual resiliency, you long for them to know the hope of Jesus and to be part of God's family and to be seated around his table, you first need to invite them to your table. Because it's at your table that you share fellowship and you share who you are authentically, which if you're a member of God's family, involves the story of God. Meals can be a powerful way to develop spiritual resiliency with ourselves and our loved ones. I was recently talking to one of the Wooddale members we have here, Tom Berkowitz. Uh, Tom and his wife, Marcia, are members. They, they have trusted in Jesus, and they also are Jewish. That's part of their, their uh, ethnic background. And they are committed to the Jewish traditions and some of the elements of the Jewish faith because they see how it points to Jesus. So one of the things that Tom and Marsha have started to do is to hold a Shabbat dinner on a regular basis where they invite their kids and their grandkids. And the Shabbat dinner is a dinner that's done to celebrate the Sabbath. And it's within the Shabbat dinner that there are two key elements. Tom sent some photos in. Uh, that he and Marsha have of this Shabbat dinner. And so you can see Tom and Marsha are there and their, their kids and their grandkids are all gathered around the table. And what Tom does is he invites the kids and grandkids to participate with him in the, the elements. So they're, they're here reciting some prayers together, or then Tom will get some of the elements like the bread and he'll have the, the grandkids pass them out. And every time he does this, there's always these two elements of everything, two candles, two pieces of bread. And when Tom does this, he tells the kids the reason for the two elements of Shabbat is to remember and observe, remember and observe, which comes right from the passage we just read in Deuteronomy 8, where Moses says, remember and don't forget to observe. And then Tom invites the grandkids in. And so as they finish setting the table, he'll say to them, Charlie, what are the two elements of Shabbat? Remember and observe grandfather, Sydney, What are the two elements of Shabbat? Remember and observe, grandfather. And it's in this shared meal that Tom and Marsha are pouring into their grandkids a sense of spiritual resiliency. You don't need to be Jewish or have that tradition in your background to be able to do something like this. Just gather together with your loved ones. If you live in a home with people of your own family, have a regular time of shared meals. It is absolutely important and essential. And if you live by yourself or your family's not nearby, then reach out to others who are needing to have some family meals or some meals together and have a regular rhythm of gathering together and having these meals and creating new traditions, But when you do, take at least a few moments to focus on God because it's there that we can build a sense of spiritual resiliency around our tables. So meals are one way to do this. Another way to do this is family devotion. So I want to take just a moment and speak directly to any of you who have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews who are living in your household with you. When I say family devotions, what I mean is literally the entire household, the entire family gathered together around God's word, reading a passage of scripture together, and then discussing what it means together. And even just saying that, some of you are thinking to yourself, no way, not me. We're not doing that. 
And if you're thinking that way or you feel that way, let me, let me just say this to you. I get it because up until a few months ago, that was us. Like for years, we did not do family devotions in our household. And I had a very spiritual reason for not doing family devotions. I thought it was going to be weird. Like I, I talked myself out of it. I was like, listen, my kids are in church all the time. They're in Woods Kids. They're in student ministries. They don't need this. And, you know, I'm a pastor and they probably get enough. And, and, and I had all these excuses. But I have to tell you this. Listen, going through this whole series on family, and understanding the importance and the urgency for each and every one of us to develop spiritual resiliency in ourselves and in those whom we love. God convicted me when he entrusts you with someone, a member in, 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 in the next generation into your life. He is calling you to help develop spiritual resiliency in them. And God was saying, Kyle, if I've entrusted children to you, your obligation is to pour spiritually into them. And this is one of the ways that we do it. And it was deeply convicting for me. And so a few months ago, we took a risk and we started it. And if you're wanting to start or you need to start a family devotion, do what I did. It's really simple. What we did, we downloaded the Discovery Bible app. It goes through the Discovery Bible uh, study method. And what it does is literally it has a passage of scripture that it's already selected for you. No prep is needed. You read the story together with those whom you're gathered around. And then you just simply talk about it. And then you answer four questions. And it's always the same four questions. And the four questions are provided for you right there in the study. It's what does this tell me about God? What's this tell me about me? What changes do I need to make because this story is true? And then who am I going to tell? And folks, that's it. You don't need anything more complicated or elaborate than that. So we gathered our family together and we did it. And the first time we did it, it was just as awkward as I feared it was going to be. And then we did it again. And the second time was still awkward. And the third time was a little bit less awkward. And by the fourth or the fifth time, we had kind of gotten into a rhythm. And listen, I'm not telling you that every time we do this, we have these elaborate and breakthrough conversations, but we have had some brilliant questions from our kids. And my wife and I have been able to share some things with our kids that we never otherwise would have been able to talk about if we weren't doing those family devotions. And if you're hearing that and you're like, that sounds a lot like a life group. Yeah, it is. Because the family is kind of God's original life group. And so if you don't have family in your home right now, get into a life group. Because this is a way for you to do the same thing with God's family. It's that ongoing praise that happens through conversations and devotions that develop a sense of spiritual resiliency in us and in others. Now, here's the third and the final element of how we can have shared moments together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's just, you need to be in regular worship services because there's something that happens when we, as God's people come together, that the diverse group of God's family, all unified together in giving praise and declaration to God, God moves in significant ways. And it reminds us that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And folks, that's what guards against pride. And it's that ongoing, regular gathering of together that helps to develop a sense of spiritual resiliency. Listen, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. We live in a busy culture. But when you take regular time to give praise to God together, all generations gathered together. If you have kids, you have grandkids, make sure they're included in this. 
and be part of these regular worship services, it helps us to develop that sense of shared spiritual resiliency. See, I believe we can take these meaningful steps to help create a spiritually resilient generation, not only within ourselves, but in the generation that is to come. Listen, we're wrapping up this Family Matters series. It's been a great series, lots of practical steps. And next weekend, we're going to be answering questions that you have sent in. And Pastor Ken and Pastor Heather and a few of our friends at Wooddale are going to be responding to those questions. I'm very much looking forward to that. But as we wrap up this series, I wanted to take just a moment and speak to those of you who, as we've been going through this series, you have this sense of like, I just feel inadequate to be able to give my family what they need. Or I feel overwhelmed or I feel burdened by something that's in my family or, or some of the, the matters of our family or the fact that my family isn't what I wanted them to look like or maybe my, my family isn't, isn't fully there yet and, and I'm struggling with all of this. And if that's just true for you, let me just let, me just let you know, I too feel incredibly inadequate to navigate the family matters that we're dealing with. But as I was going through this passage in Deuteronomy 8, there's a little nugget that God revealed to me that gave me so much hope. And if you're struggling with any sense of inadequacy, I think this is going to give you some hope as well so you can navigate your family matters. Let me share this little nugget with you. It's buried in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. It's when Moses is recanting for the people the the memory of God's faithfulness. He's talking about God. He's saying, you know, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. And then he gives this little commentary about why God allowed this to happen. He says this, he says, this was done to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, Moses was saying to the people, listen, you have to trust in God and not in yourself and trust in God's word and not your own works. And this is something that the people of Israel never got right. And come on, it's something you and I never fully get right either. I struggle with this all the time. So the question is, if we struggle with this and if we can't ever fully trust in God's word, how are we ever going to become spiritually resilient? And then how will we develop spiritual resiliency in others? And the good news is there was one who did. It was Jesus himself. And Jesus declares that he is going to be the one that will fully trust in God and his word. And he actually quotes this passage when he does so. Here's the story. It was right before Jesus' earthly ministry. He was led out by the spirit into the wilderness and he spent not 40 years like Israel, but he spent 40 days out there and it was there. He was tested. Matthew four tells us that story. Here it is. Matthew four, one says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, Jesus, don't trust God. Trust yourself. You're powerful. In fact, show how powerful you are by turning these stones into bread. Don't trust in God, which actually was a very similar temptation to what the devil gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't trust God. Trust yourself. 
But unlike Adam and Eve and unlike Israel before him, Jesus did this right. And he quotes Deuteronomy 3 by saying, Jesus uh, answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Finally, there is one who is truly faithful. And here's the great promise of scripture. If you've accepted Jesus, Jesus and his spirit now lives in you and will help you and change you and show you how you too can fully trust in God. That's what Hebrews promises to us. Listen to this passage of scripture. It's talking about Jesus saying this high priest, meaning Jesus of ours, understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testing we do. We just read that. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we need God's grace the most is often when we are dealing with our family matters. Here's the great promise. Jesus is standing and is available and is waiting for us to come to him. And he promises us to be faithful to us and to help us be faithful to our family and faithful to him. And he will help us with our family matters if we ask. Because after all, ultimately, this is all his family. So let's do that now as we work to start wrapping up this series. Let's go to Jesus himself and ask for help and receive the grace for when we need it the most. Father God, we come humbly before you. And Lord, we confess to you that, Lord, that we feel oftentimes deeply inadequate to be able to live and lead our families or lead and live in the family that you have created, the church, Lord, in ways that are fully honoring to you. And so, Father, we come before you And as your word instructs us, we boldly come into you and your presence. And Father, we ask for your help. In fact, Father, those of us who are in living rooms and Father, in campus locations, hearing this message, Lord, maybe now we even just take our hands and we lift them up to you as a sign of surrender. And Father, we give to you now our families. Father, we give to you now maybe those specific family matters that are burdening us. Father, we we give to you our feelings of inadequacy. And Father, we ask that you would give to us the wisdom that we don't currently have, but we need. Father, give to us the patience that we need. Father, give to us the courage and the insight that we so desperately need to lead well and to develop this sense of spiritual resiliency in the next generation. And Father, we know because of your word that you hear us when we call out to you. And Lord, we know that you will be with us and work in and through us with these requests that we have just given to you. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.